You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. The 9 a.m. practice sermon went quite well. I expect this one will go as well as also. Today is the second in our four-week series on the prayers from the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. These are known as the prayer epistles that Paul prayed. Last week, Mike Jones opened up the series and with, with a prayer from Ephesians. And one of the things that I remembered was that he told us that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And he stood on the front here and he actually made a little gesture that Jesus is right next to us. All we really have to do is lean over and speak to him. He also emphasized that we should understand that Jesus is far above everything and anything that could ever come against us on this earth and in this life. And when you need wisdom, when you need strength, look up. See yourself seated next to him. Today's letter of Philippians, we'll study the prayer that Paul prayed in that book. And if you take away nothing else than this, this is the point I want you to get. That your most powerful prayers will be those prayers that you pray for other people while you yourself are in the midst of pain. I'm going to start out as I usually do a little bit different. I like alliteration. Alliteration is when you use the same letter through the entire, or the the same letter for each word through an entire sentence, or a phrase, or a title. So today's title has been alliterated. And here's the title of my message today. Powerful prayers the Apostle Paul perpetually prayed from prison, predominantly paraphrased and now posthumously presented. And I have a rule of thumb that the length of the sermon is directly proportionate to the length of the title. So we're likely to carry this right on through sometime early this evening, so be prepared for that. Pastor Rocky, we talked about this, didn't we? I mean, we don't have another service after this, but it's still, the goal is 12.15 in the second service. 12.15. Not 6.15. That'd be way too long. Sorry, sorry about it. Go ahead. Okay, the, the title of my message today is Powerful Prayers. I'm going to start out, like I said, a little bit different. I'm going to whistle a tune. Maybe I'm just going to whistle just a note at a time and yell out loud enough for these deaf ears to actually hear when you understand what the song is. So here we go. Uh, 
Andy Griffith. Very good. Okay, thank you. Now, how many of you actually were around and watched the old black and white TVs like I had when I was a kid? I tell you what, when we gave up the black and white and, and, and went up to the high-tech, beautiful things on the wall that we have now, we sure went down in the pits with the moral quality of what oh, yeah. we watched. I really long for those days when we had those wonderful, wholesome programs. Now, on the Andy Griffith Show, who was the name of the sheriff? Andy Taylor. What was his son's name? Who did they live with? What was the name of the deputy sheriff? How about the town barber? Yes. How about the mechanic? Gomer. And his cousin was Goober. And how about the fix-it man? Emmett. Who else was on that show? <laughs> what? Did somebody say the town drunk? Oh, come on. Pastor Ben's gone, right? Yes. Okay, we can talk about the He's town drunk. <laughs> okay, Otis Campbell was the town drunk. And yes, that's what I was leading to. Otis was played by a man named Hal Smith. And Hal played in a number of movies, but not very many. He was more well-known for his hundreds of voices that he played in movies and perhaps sitcoms, but mostly in cartoons. Anybody remember Davy and Goliath, the little claymation thing from way back? I loved that show. Hal was the voice of Goliath the dog. He was also the voice of Elmer Fudd. But what I think is the coolest is that he was the voice John Avery Whitaker, wit, from Adventures in Odyssey. And boy, did those old tapes just save us on many a trips when we would plug those in and we had peace in the back seat. And once they were over, we'd have to plug another tape in because the kids just loved those, and I loved them as well. Back to Mayberry, though. Otis, the town drunk. Otis would come stumbling into the sheriff's office after he had a snootful and he was all, and, you know, and in cart, not a drunk. And he would walk over to the back wall where there was a, a cell, and he would reach up and get this big loop with a big old key on it. He would open the door, and he'd get in there, close the door, reach out, lock himself in, and put the key back up, and then he would sleep off his intoxication. Boy, that would simplify today's prison system, wouldn't it? Well, anyways, he used that incarceration, that jail cell, to his benefit so he could normalize before he went home to his wife Rita and who knows what would have happened if he went home drunk every time. So he used his opportunity in jail to benefit him. You can visit that jail cell today. Mayberry, North Carolina actually exists. We were there. And you can go to the cell where they filmed that. You can also go around the world and see other jail cells where people who were incarcerated for a cause used their time wisely. You could go to South Africa. Robben Island off the coast is a place where Nelson Mandela spent 18 years in, single, in solitary confinement. He wrote a book called Conversations with Myself. You can go to Birmingham, Alabama, and you can see where Dr. Martin Luther King was locked up for a number of days and he wrote a number of letters in his efforts 
of the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was incarcerated by the Nazis in a German prison, moved to Buchenwald, and then finally moved to another camp where he was executed, just as the Russians were about to liberate the camp. He wrote letters from prison that were in support of his underground Bible study that he was raising up pastors in that situation. Very incredible. In 1660, that's 1660, way back, a man named John Bunyan was imprisoned for preaching on the streets because the Church of England says, no, 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 you'll preach what we preach in our building. He refused. He was arrested. He was imprisoned for 12 years. Anybody know what he wrote? Pilgrim's Progress. And the most famous jail, jail cell of all is one we can't visit. It's one that's in Rome. It was active in the year A.D. 65. It was occupied by a man named the Apostle Paul. And that is where he wrote the letters to Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Three key observations that I've got from these letters. First of all, his apostolic passion toward those planted churches. Then his pastoral concerns for the spiritual welfare of those believers. And his practical emphasis on living in Christ where you are. But a fourth is what we're going to focus more on toward the end. His powerful prayers. Those prayers that he prayed while he was in a place of pain. There are some common themes with those who are incarcerated for being arrested for a cause. And I would say it goes back to something that I think we can all relate to. If you have ever started a Bible study, or perhaps you've started a Sunday school class, maybe you've started some kind of a quilting group like my wife was a part of. Maybe you started a golf league or a bass fishing tournament. And every week, every month, or every year, you meet and you try to promote that cause. Because it's your baby. You started it. You want to see that grow. So it was with Paul. These churches were those that he started on his first missionary journey, and he visited them on his second. Those people were close to him. He wanted to see them succeed. Bonhoeffer managed those underground Bible study groups. He certainly wanted that to happen and become fulfilling, but course he lost his life in 1945 before he saw it through. Mandela organized anti-apartheid movement. Eventually he crushed that anti-apartheid and became the president of South Africa. Martin Luther King was the lead in the movement of the civil rights in the 1960s and he has that famous quote in the one of the last perhaps the last speech that he had before he was killed. I have been to the mountaintops. I have seen the promised land, but I might not get there with you. Seems like those would have been the thoughts of Paul 2,000 years earlier. Because we're going to learn in a few minutes, Paul had been to the mountaintop, the real mountaintop. He had seen Jesus face to face. He had seen the promised land in a way that he couldn't even utter it in human words but he would not get there with his people. He would go sooner. 
there are some uncommon themes. Unlike King, Mandela, Bonhoeffer, who were focused more on the movement, Paul was also focused on the spiritual health of each church, on the personal welfare of each member. From Philippians 1.27, he writes this, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I remain absent, I will hear of you and of your standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Likewise, he had this practical emphasis on living in Christ where you are in whatever condition or situation you find yourself in. A bit earlier in that page, in that passage, Philippians 1.20. According to my earnest expectations and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And we all know this passage. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, with you, all for your progress and joy in the faith. In each of these, his passion for personal investment, his pastoral concerns, his practical emphasis, they form the basis for his powerful prayers. And let's find out now why his prayers were so powerful. But first we need to understand the essence of Paul, the man and the motivation that characterized his mission. Who was this man? He was born with an impressive pedigree. If he were a, a dog, he would be a purebred. If we read from Philippians 3, verse 4 through 9, this is what I call his pedigree. Although I myself might be confident even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And here's why. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. And the King James says, count it, but dumb. We know what that is. So that I may gain Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11.23, we have a list of what I would call his penalties. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, 
Dangers for my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers from the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from such things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all these churches. Now let me go through this a little bit again. Three times I was beaten with rods. Some of us have experienced being spanked with a ruler. My mom had a steel ruler. But it has nothing to compare to beating with rods. Those are like bamboo sticks which are hard as rocks and they are beaten with a lot of effort. It is excruciating to a bear. Once I was stoned. Okay, we used to have pebble fights when I was a kid. And once in a while, you would actually take one of those up on the top of your dome, and that would hurt. But the, we're talking about large, jagged rocks that could kill you. And we're talking about hundreds of them flying at you. You have to escape for your life, which he barely did. Three times, I was shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. I doubt if any of us have ever been shipwrecked wrecked, let alone three times. A night and a day I spent in the deep. Think about that. I get terrified if I'm off the end of the pier and I start to float out. But imagine being in half a mile deep water for a night and a day with who knows what's underneath there. And guess what? They didn't have life jackets. The best he could have done was hold on to a couple floating boards. And actually, boards don't float that well. All these things he had experienced. This is a man who had been brutally, brutally treated and experienced pain at a level that we just don't have. Then we read from 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1 through 6. These are what I call his privileges. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago... Now, he's speaking of that man being him from a different person's perspective. But he's speaking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. That's where God is. I was caught up, or he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. And that's why Paul is an apostle. Because in a, one of the requirements to be an apostle is to have actually have lived and experienced the physical Christ. And because he was caught up, literally, to the presence of Christ, he could now be considered a true apostle. To give you a perspective of the timeline of his life, Paul was born about 3 to 6 A.D., so if you look at the timeline where B.C. meets A.D., there is no year zero. It starts one either way. <clears throat> Jesus was born 4 B.C. And Paul is born perhaps 3 to 6 A.D. So given the span there, the closest they could have been is perhaps five years apart. The, the longest is perhaps ten. So within five or ten years of Jesus' birth, that's where Paul was born. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus was born 4 B.C., but 
when you consider the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man, and that is impossible. It's an enigma. But yet God, Jesus was fully man and fully God, and it's true. If he can be fully man and fully God at the same time, it's probably not that hard for him to be born four years before his birth. Help me out here, Doug. Okay, it was then a mistake in the calendar. So let's progress 30 years from there. The first we hear of Paul, he's called Saul. He is a witness to the stoning of Stephen. And he is in agreement with that. The year after, or in between that time even, but a year after, he's on his way to do his own stoning in Damascus. And he sees this bright light in the sky and he hears these words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he's blinded. And this is the point where Paul is saved. Then he goes on to these missionary journeys from the period of about 40 to age 45. He travels on one, two, and three missionary journeys. And he starts all these different churches and he visits them and then he returns back to Jerusalem. Now to give you a visual perspective of that, the point where he is saved at 30 years old, picture Pastor Bobby. That's about the age of Paul. Ben, picture Pastor Ben in the 40 to 50 range. That was Paul when he was energetic and adventurous, just like Pastor Ben is today. And then when he starts to slow down, he's a little bit beat up and he's kind of wore out. Well, that's me. <laughs> and conveniently enough, I'm at the age of Paul where he was about writing these letters. So I thought that was kind of cool. We talk about him as being Saul of Tarsus. He is born in Tarsus, which is now Turkey. And his name was Saul. And later on we hear it's Paul. There's a common misconception that his name was changed when he was converted. That's not true. Because Jesus calls him Saul. And he's called Saul after that. The reason that is, is back in that time, there was a dual civilization. People lived as Jews there and as Romans. They kept both cultures. Oftentimes, they had two names. Saul was his Jewish or Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman or Greco-Roman name. Later on, we read in 1 Corinthians 9 that Paul says, I became all things to all people that I might save some. In other words, he tried to be just like the people he was surrounded with so he could have a better connection. As we read through the book of Acts, we get more toward the Romanism of the gospel. It makes sense that now he's using his Roman name more than his Jewish or Hebrew name. Now, the reason why Paul is in prison, after making all these, these missionary journeys, he's traveling to non-Jewish countries, Gentile countries, which are unclean. He comes back to Jerusalem, and James, the apostle, the brother of Jesus, confronts him and says, you know, the, the Jews here are going to be concerned that you're unclean because you've traveled so much. Perhaps you could go through the ceremonial cleansing in the temple that would set them at ease. He agreed. But in the process, some Jews saw him in the temple, by the temple, with a Greek friend. 
which was a violation if he had brought them into the temple. So they accused him of defiling the temple. They brought charges against him, and he was arrested by the Romans and taken to Caesarea Philippi, where he stayed for two years under arrest, waiting trial, which never came. Then he said, you know, I'm a Roman. I have every right to appeal to Caesar. And he did. And they sent him to Rome, where he was going to wait for his trial before Caesar. That's where we start this story. He is now in Rome under house arrest. Now last week, Pastor Mike spoke about the Mamertine prison. There is some disagreement that perhaps he was in the Mamertine or he was under house arrest. So I'm giving you the other option today so we get both viewpoints. But to review, the Mamertine prison, horrible, wretched place. Couldn't even be called a prison. It was probably a cavern somewhere underground. They have the location of it right now. <clears throat> it's under an existing building. But it's a, probably a cavern, just hollowed out, where prisoners were put in there just as a holding place. Probably given a minimum of food and water just to sustain life. Because in that time, prisons were not places of rehab. When you went to prison, there was two things that were going to happen. You're waiting to be acquitted, which you'd be let out, very emaciated, or you would be terminated. That's what happened. It was only a holding cell. And the Mamertine takes it to another level of gruesomeness because when it was your time when you were determined to be guilty, you weren't just humanely terminated. You were dropped through a hole in the floor, just a round hole in that rock floor, which dropped you to another level of rock floor below. No padding down there. You just hit the floor painfully and however you ended up. And there you awaited your final termination of strangulation, beheaded, or any manner of creative type of execution they could come up with. And they had quite a list. On the other hand, what I'm speaking about today that he was in house arrest. A bit more humane. But yet... Not really so much because the next step was the Mamertine anyways. So now you had time on your hands to think about that. And house arrest is not like our cushy, luxurious homes that we have today. They were carved out with stone, pretty crude, probably going to be a pretty small place. And he's chained to a Roman military man. The chain is nothing padded either. It's pounded out on a forge, probably really rough and sharp, probably cut into his flesh. And think about having to go to the bathroom, having to get a drink or food or any manner of doing anything. You have to hope that your partner, the Roman officer there, is willing to get up with you or you're just going to wait it out. So he was cooped up in this small place. And again, you might think, so it's still not all that bad, right? Well, I take you back one year in the United States of America where we had a shutdown. We weren't even locked into our own houses, but we were forbidden to go to restaurants, to most businesses. We could go to a few stores. We couldn't go to our churches. All these things that we couldn't do. But we still could get out of our house. But yet, how many of us have had some depressing results from that? So much so that people in America and probably around the world have committed suicide because it was so intense for them. If we 
reacted that severely to just the minor shutdown that we had. Imagine being locked, chained up to a guard in a small little house for years and then wondering if you're going to go to the Mamertine prison after that. Paul's mindset under those cruel conditions, his mindset was a kingdom mindset. Because back to Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That was his driving motivation. The prayer that we're going to study in Philippians is verses 1 through 11 of Philippians 1. <clears throat> or 3. 3 through 11. Thank, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be perfect, who will perfect it until the day of Christ. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of Christ. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now he's writing it this way because in his first missionary journey, he founded this church. He visited them on the second one, and he was actually imprisoned in a very crude jail in Philippi when he visited there as well. And he's also writing this as a thank you letter because he's in a rented house under, under imprisonment. So you can't just go work at a job and pay for your rented house while you're in prison. He has to rely on the grace and the provision of others. The church in Philippi was one of the few that supplied his needs and gave him money to rent that house. And he's writing them a thank you letter right now. And this is his prayer. And this I pray that your love may bound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now you will notice, this is not a quoted word-for-word -word prayer. Paul is giving us a paraphrased version of the points that he would pray. You can certainly assume that Paul did not pray three sentences and then go about his rest of his day sitting there chained up. Paul was a man of prayer. Paul was committed to prayer. He labored in prayer. He wrestled in prayer. In Ephesians we read, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He writes in Colossians, of a man named Epaphras who always wrestles in prayer for you. How many of you have ever been on a wrestling team? Anybody? High school? College? <coughs> friends' backyard? Maybe you watch WWF on TV? Well, if you haven't ever wrestled, I'll tell you this because I did. 
wrestling is a sport, an event that every muscle in your body is working against every muscle of your opponent. Every bit of your thoughts is working to find an advantage and to prevent that opponent from having an advantage on you. It is draining. It is exhausting. It is excruciating. And that's how Paul identifies prayer. Wrestling. There are two mindsets when it comes to prayer that I've defined here. And I can't say that I've got them defined exactly. I use a Western mindset and an Eastern mindset. It's from Western culture and Eastern culture. Now, when I say Western culture, I'm talking about modern society. Back then, the West would probably have been Rome. But today, the West, I define it as Europe, North America, perhaps Australia, and a few other pockets of modernization where we have luxury and comfort. We have all of our needs. And then there's the Eastern culture, which is perhaps the third world, who doesn't have all that they need, who struggles and works for it. All those other countries that we often don't hear about. The Western culture, the Western mindset, let's narrow it down to America. The church in America, and I'm generalizing, I'm not saying you as individuals pray this way, but I believe that in general, the church in America prays for prosperity and relief from discomfort. We pray for stuff. We pray for abundance. We pray for ex excess. We pray for more than enough. We pray for the things we want. The Eastern culture, those who have very little, they pray with a kingdom mindset. They pray for real needs because they really need. They pray for God's favor to push through His agenda. They pray for spiritual victories. They pray for visibility of God's power in healing and miracles. You and I can choose which mindset we wish to pray. God's Word now listen close to this and don't misunderstand me. God's word. God's word spreads during times of peace and prosperity. But the church grows during times of persecution. Paul would have prayed appropriately. I'm going to read parts of that prayer again. And this is my prayer for you that you love that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Why is this prayer It's only that big. It's only less than a minute long. Well, again, it's not his actual prayer. But it's a paraphrase of it. But why is it so powerful? Perhaps it's powerful because of its simplicity. Because it is to the point. 
Have you ever heard somebody ramble on, on and on and on until they forget what they were even started to talk about? They forgot their point. Let me take that back. Reverse the tape because we all do that, don't we? Can you remember a time when you rambled on and on and on and forgot your original point? Could we be that way in prayer? Not that I want to say don't to be short in prayer necessarily, but could we ramble on? Well, I don't want to say that God will be bored with our ramblings. I'm sure he won't. He accepts all of our thoughts and our prayers and our talking to him. But you might get lost in your request. Or more correctly, you may lose the Holy Spirit's leading in your prayers because we should be led by the Holy Spirit. If not, it's just a list of wants. Perhaps this prayer is powerful because of its consistency. Consistency with other prayers that Paul preached or prayed. Because if you read the prayers of Paul, you will often find a common Denominator. He will start out with thanksgiving. Then he gets to the point. Sometimes he prays the really hard stuff. And then he ends with an exhortation. And that's what he did here. It's a good pattern for prayer. We could learn from that. Jesus gave us a pattern for prayer. The Lord's Prayer. It's not really a prayer for us to pray. Even though when we pray it word for word, it's beautiful. But it was a pattern that Jesus gave us to insert our own conditions into each of those phrases. There are other patterns for prayer. The ACTS, the ACT, the, the PRA. There's a couple other ones that I can't think of at the moment. But these are patterns that we can use to follow in our prayers, to keep us on track. Perhaps this prayer was powerful because it was sincere, with no fluff, no really highly exalting language, which again is perhaps not a problem with God because he understands our heart. But it was simple, to the point. Paul prayed the hard things. He got right to the point, and this is my prayer for you. Paul prayed kingdom prayers, not vending machine prayers. A vending machine prayer is where we go to the candy machine because we want a candy bar. We put the money in and pull out the candy bar. Or we go to God when we really need something and pray that, God, uh, this is what I really need. Can you please give that to me? And I'll talk to you again when I'm hungry. He didn't pray those kind of prayers. Perhaps this is a powerful prayer because it was outwardly directed toward other people. New Testament prayers tend to be that way. Those people in the New Testament prayed for others. They rarely, if ever, prayed for themselves. Other than Paul praying for the thorn in the flesh. But he prayed for relief so that he could be more effective for God's kingdom. But God found in his infinite wisdom that Paul would be more effective by being humbled by whatever that thorn in the flesh may have been. Perhaps this prayer is powerful because it was prayed with purpose. And this is one of the three last points that I think are the most important of all these points. Because Paul says this 
That your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. So that. You see, praying with purpose is no longer a list of wants and desires. And I challenge you in this. That when you pray, start putting a so that or a because in there. Instead of just praying, 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 pray a phrase to God. This is what I'm asking God because, and you'll soon find out, those becauses will qualify whether you're praying God's will or not. For instance, Heavenly Father, I ask you today for a brand new Corvette. Because God's people need to see that you are a God of providence. <laughs> Not to pray for an amen, but I get it. Because <laughs> I prayed that prayer before. <laughs> but perhaps instead, God, I'm asking you to heal my neighbor of terminal cancer. Because he needs to know that you are a sovereign God. You are all powerful and that you love him and want him to be in eternity with you. Put a so that or a because in your prayers and see how they change. Perhaps this was a powerful prayer because it was love-centered. Paul always prayed in love. He spoke the truth in love. We all know Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it is not proud, it does not boast. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. If you can take this chapter and make a list, a checklist, and if you can literally check off every one of those when you pray, you can't hardly pray wrong. If in all your decisions and all that you do in life, if you can check off every one of those check boxes. You can hardly live outside of God's will. And that's how Paul prayed with love. And finally, my last point there. This is a powerful prayer because Paul prayed it while he was in pain. Since Christ's suffering continued to this day through his church. His suffering and our suffering will all end when he returns. But he continues to experience that with us according to Colossians 1.24. Therefore we can never be closer to him than we ourselves are in pain. These were Paul's final days. And he knew it. 
What if you found that you were in your final days? Our days are all numbered, but perhaps yours or mine will soon be in single digits, and we'll know it. What if you wake up one morning to find something had happened and you're on a ventilator? That's a pretty common theme right now. You were in the final days of your life and you just know this isn't going to turn out well. Would you pray for God's healing? Of course you would. Of course I would. How long would you push the issue? Would you continue and continue and continue to pray for God's healing and relief off that thing? Or would you use those precious final moments to pray for someone else that you hadn't prayed for before? Perhaps you're in a car accident with no hope of rescue. Your family and friends didn't even know you were on a trip and you drove off in a snowstorm. There aren't even, even any tracks left to trace that a car went off there and you know. Nobody's going to find me. This is probably my last few minutes or hours or days. Would you pray for a miraculous rescue? Of course you would. I would too. But would you continue to push that issue with your prayers, constantly praying for rescue, or would you use those final moments to pray for a lost son? a lost daughter, a lost neighbor. Perhaps one day you'll discover that you are 120 years old like Pastor Ben wants to be. And I'm not sure what kind of world he's going to end up, but count me out of that one. But your next day may be your last. Do you continue to pray for one more day? God, give me one more day. Then give me another day. And then another day. Or do you pray continuously for a lost world and lost people? Paul was in his final days. He knew it. It was in his job description. I think most of the apostles understood it as well, that their end wasn't going to be pretty. Most believers of that day probably knew it as well. They could see the signs along the roads to Rome with the burning bodies of Christians. They didn't pray for, or for prosperity. They didn't pray for comfort. They didn't pray for relief. Not that those things are wrong in any way. But their focus was for God's kingdom to come. For that permanent prosperity, comfort, and relief. And furthering the kingdom of God. They focused on pressing on toward that goal. So let's remember this amazing man, Paul, who gave up all of his privileges from his heritage and his upbringing, who suffered beyond anything that I think we can comprehend, who lived his final days in a crude captivity, who continued to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to honor his king. prayers were powerful. 
like I said from the beginning, if you take nothing away from this message other than this, remember, the most powerful prayers you will ever pray are those prayers that you pray for other people while you are in your own pain. And then consider what it would be like if you were in your final days, your final moments, when praying for a new car or a better job or relief from some nagging health issue isn't really going to last that much longer. What would your prayers be in that situation or that condition? Figure out the answer to that question. begin praying those prayers today. In every service we want to have an opportunity for those who have never known salvation or turned from their ways and accepted Christ in their heart and that changed life. Today we also want to offer that opportunity. But I'm going to do it in this way that I'm going to stay up here a little bit after the service. And if that's you, please come up here, speak with me, and I'll walk you through that. Or speak with Pastor Doug. Or one of the worship team. But speak with somebody. and Let them know that you want to be a part of this family. But this morning I want to end with this. A public service announcement. Because every Wednesday night, we have a prayer meeting. Pastor Ben has said for better part of a year that that Wednesday night service is the most important service of the week. If you can only make it to one, make it to that one. In August, we're going to open that up as a connect group as well. We want to make it as friendly as possible for everyone to be part of that group. I want to encourage you to be there. 7 o'clock Wednesday night in the children's worship room at the other end of the building. In that group, we have only a dozen, maybe at the best, two dozen people right now, but we have people who are true intercessors. We have people who are largely silent and prefer to just listen and pray silently. Both ends of the spectrum are needed and wanted. Wherever you fit in there, please feel welcome. We have people who are prayer warriors. And we have people that are there to learn how to pray. How to be more effective in prayer. And that's me. I lead that meeting. And the guy leading the meeting is there to learn. So don't feel intimidated. So if you wish to commit yourself to a new level of prayer after this sermon this morning, I hope you do. Or you just need to learn how or to learn how better 
to communicate and more importantly how to hear from God let's see you there on Wednesday night and let's all start a new journey together I hope to see you there Heavenly Father it is such a joy to be in a place surrounded by people with like minds surrounded by people who lift up their praise and worship to the true God people who are in communication with you together corporately we thank you for the protection and the security that we have in this place and in this country and remember those who don't have it such as Paul experienced in his life and we see pockets of the same thing around the globe now God we pray that in our time of peace and prosperity that we would promote your word that your word would go forth to those places where persecution is evident where your church will grow Father, I thank you for each one of these believers. And I pray that their love will grow for each other. Their love and their understanding of you will continue to grow. That they will invest time in their relationship with you and you will return that investment to them. Now, Lord, go with each one of us. Surround us with your love and your protection. And bring us all again soon. Jesus' name, amen. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.